I was like, I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not trying to stay here. I'm not trying to make this work. I'm not trying to sit still. I'm going to go do something where I can put all of myself into it. Welcome to Revelations, the place where we communicate truth to power. I am Cole Johnson, and I am so glad you're able to join us. This next guest travels around the world, and she is a digital nomad. Ladies and gentlemen, the host of Black Women Travels podcast and the life coach of Asha LBH, Wanda Duncan. Wanda is her name, and this is her revelation. (laughs) Hey, thank you for having me on, Cole. Well, thank you for joining me, Wanda, and... I've only talked to you really for like five minutes, but I almost feel as though I, I am talking to a neighbor just in that short amount of time. It's amazing how you can connect quickly with people. Uh, <laughs> but what I do with all first time guests is I basically line up a, an experience to let people get to know who you truly are, the essence of who you are. So the first segment is called Open the Way. Opening the way, I want to know this one question. Nine older siblings? Now, <laughs> yeah. n- now, how in the world was that household and how is that house still standing? <laughs> uh, well, so because of the age differences, I don't know that all of us were really in the same house at the same time. I was tiny. So I only remember a little bit, but by the time I was in the second grade, it was just me and my two older brothers. So with that many kids, you know, you got too many folks trying to get grown and gone. So yeah, they, they had pretty much all moved out by the time I had any cognizance, by the time I could remember and spell their names. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that is funny that is funny uh so yeah okay if that's the case how many of your older siblings claim to be your second set of parents <laughs> um none of them because <laughs> i am not parentable <laughs> i sort of got that just in 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 the in the vibe that you are, you're about um and the reason why i asked that is Seemingly, uh, they probably look at you and say, well, why would you want to live the life you're living now? So when did you fall in love with the art of traveling? So we didn't grow up traveling. Um, 
we would go to maybe a city for a conference and like stay at a hotel and like that was traveling. So uh, I grew up in Southern Illinois. And so St. Louis was one of the cities we would go to. And that's just like a couple hours away. Um, I don't think I paid much attention to it then. But I went to visit my sister in Florida. And I think that's kind of, and I went to the ocean before I went to go see her. And it was like my first time seeing the ocean. I don't remember how old I was, but I was, I, you know, had my car. It was one of the beaches you could drive the car onto. And, mm. you know, I had my books and my magazines and like all this stuff to do. Cause like, that's what you did on the beach. Child, when I tell you, I got out of the car and like fell asleep. <laughs> I was like, Oh, this is amazing. So this is the ocean. Like, I love it. <laughs> so I think that, I think uh, I I drove as well all the way from Illinois down to Florida. Um, I must have been in in college or something like that. I was like in the 2000s or something. But that that was my first, I would say. Hmm. I could see how that would be a good foray into exploring other worlds and, and other places. I could totally get that. Uh, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I didn't come from the Midwest myself, but I did come from, I guess you could say a landlocked area and yeah, seeing, seeing a beach, <laughs> especially one in California. Yeah. It would make you say, wow. Okay. What else is out there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I totally. Get it was that. just so big and I, I, I've loved the ocean ever since. Um, it's just huge. It, I love things that feel bigger than me. I also love the mountains for that reason. It's just so breathtaking and endless Mm. and it makes you feel very small versus a lot of times like how things in your life can seem so in your face, so up close. So that's something I really appreciated about that time. Oh, wow. So you're not the only one who feels that way. Uh, uh, Cause Uh I mean, cause I, I, I felt that way as well. And just this year, now I've been around mountains. Uh, before mm-hmm. now but uh earlier this year i traveled with my wife to san diego and so we come back to mm-hmm. salt lake city and we're flying over the rocky mountains and all, and all i'm doing is just staring down and i'm just in awe my jaw's just dropping i'm like wow all of that it is absolutely breathtaking and gorgeous so yeah i mm-hmm. totally get that feeling and yeah i i get how it could be a warm feeling of okay this wow this is this is new territory to explore. Yeah, I, I totally get that feeling. All right, so you It was kind of the it was kind of the same as well. I took my first flight from Illinois where I where I'm from. Mm-hmm. Well, actually I, I flew out of St. Louis, Missouri, but <laughs> from St. Louis to it to Atlanta um to check out a job that I was going to pursue in Atlanta and flying is my absolute there's something about the bigness of the world when you're up in that plane. And I don't even care about turbulence. I don't care about the takeoff or the landing. There's something that's really magical about being above it all mm. and seeing how small all these places and cars and cities and land, um, how small everything is, how far away everything is. It's like utter peace up there for me. It doesn't matter how short the flight like I just really enjoy my time up there. It always gives me perspective. I usually like keep a notebook 
um, handy where I could jot stuff down or I'm always like taking photos. Wow. I never thought of journaling the experience while in an airplane flying. Never thought of that. Yeah. I'm sure your, your, uh, your observations are just breathtaking just to think about that. Ah, wow. I mean, you, you, hmm, you give me so many ways I want to go with this next question. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So in your travels, uh, early travels, Mm -hmm. um, which would you say would be your, your most, um, enjoyable places to visit? I went to El Salvador in 2010. Mm Mm-hmm. So Jamaica was my first international. I, I'd done a bit of national traveling because I think that's just as important. But I didn't really vibe with anywhere nationally that I went. <laughs> like, you know, I don't know. You, you, it's comfortable. You know what the system is no matter where you go. Right. You know, you can hit up a Walmart or how gas stations work. or mm-hmm. I don't know, like the rules and regulations. Mm-hmm. It, there's a different personality to everywhere, but it's it is a bit more of a challenge to be somewhere completely different where you don't know how things go. People drive on the other side of the road. You don't know the language. The food is different. Like, so Jamaica was my first and I, I have a love for Jamaica, Mm -hmm. but um, my second international trip was El Salvador. And I just found the people to be so warm, so very warm, so inviting. Um, yeah, it was just a really sweet experience that I had there. So El Salvador always has a place in my heart. Blogger and life coach Wanda Duncan joining me here on Revelations. And yeah, she opened a way quite huge and uh we really appreciate this uh but we're going to go into the new or I should say the next segment and it is called bridge to prosperity But there's other things that seems to fuel you. One of them happens to be music. So when did music become a huge part of your life? Man, I always have memories of music. So it's hard to like find a beginning point. Uh, I remember being, I don't know, like 10, 11, 12 with the CD player um, tape player combo, recording songs off the radio. I have my little boys to men CD. Um, I was just always in love with music. I was always trying to copy the the sounds that I heard other people making. Um, when I got into college, I worked at the radio station at my college. It was an NPR station, and they had a record. Uh, library and I got to thumbing around and I found some Nina Simone and 
that just took things to a whole nother level. I found some Ella Fitzgerald and it was just amazing being able to hear those ladies on wax first, looking back. Um, yeah, it's just been long and strong. Uh, the first, the very first, I forget the name of the store, but I remember going with my brother to the store. The very first, I think it was a tape that I bought with my brother was Chopin. I don't know how I even knew about Chopin, but I would be like on the bus with my Walkman, like playing Chopin. And I remember like passing my headphones over to my friend, like, yo, you got to listen to this. And she was like, uh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, and I must have been, I think I was in high school at that time, maybe. When would I have had money? I don't know, but um, <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> but yeah, it's just always kind of like, as as long as I can remember been something that has moved me something that has informed a lot of my experience I learned about love through music and then I learned that whatever they were singing about wasn't really real and then I learned that it was really real <laughs> <laughs> you know the stuff you listen to and then listen to again and it's like oh that's what she was talking about mm. oh girl <laughs> Wow. Okay. There's many, many different directions. I can go with this again. I'll go with this one first. <laughs> Chopin. So you, uh, so you had a taste of classical music and you loved it. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. I'm, I'm going to get to the R&B in a minute because I, I, mm-hmm. I can hear that influence and jazz as well. Because uh, I mm-hmm. hear that influence as well. What other classical music do you like? Mm, there was... I have been researching like black classical composers. Um, I think since traveling, I've just been like black, everything, everything black. Um, you know, there's, there's a, the mother regular Tchaikovsky and, and them, <laughs> like, you know, the standards that everybody listens to and play verbatim. Um, yeah. I, there's nobody else. I don't know. Maybe if I listened to it again, I'd be like moved all over again, maybe. But I don't really seek that kind of music out anymore. Just because black people are brilliant and I just kind of want to cuddle up to that every moment of my life. <laughs> Understandable. Okay, let me see. Listen, mm-hmm. listen to the composer and them. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> Beethoven and them, you know. <laughs> Oh my, yeah, I, I, I gotta get back to listening to some classical music myself. It's, yeah, that my pool's a little narrow still. Okay, so when you talked about, uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, jazz torch singers, you basically hit me right in the feels because my father listened to Dinah Washington and Sarah Vaughn yeah. and Ella Fitzgerald mm-hmm. all throughout when I was mm-hmm. young. So, which one of those singers would you say closest mirrors your musical taste and style? That's hard to say because that's hard to say. I I love all my mothers. (laughs) I can't choose one mother. Like I like that. (laughs) 
No, I can't do that. That's too hard. Okay, well, if we can't narrow it down, which ones would you say in the past would be influential to your style? Since we have to give um, love Aretha. to all mothers. Yes, oh. give them their flowers. Okay. Aretha is someone who has given me the ability to shout. Ella is sweet. Her voice is so smooth. And Nina's voice is so deep and it can often be complex. But Aretha just like lets it out. Um, and I, I love that. I love being able to have a booming, a booming voice. Those other voices have their places and softness has its place as well. But I, I love that shout for joy. Well, well, you're just hitting all the right notes with me. Oh, okay. <laughs> part, part, uh, uh, inside baseball here. One, my favorite female vocalist of all time is Aretha Franklin. And one of the things I love about her voice is the fact that she had the ability to be huge and fill a, a whole stadium with that, that bombastic voice of hers. But then she also had, with the same voice, had the ability to pull you in and draw you in with the softness, the, 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 the stillness, and even the ultimate femininity of her voice. And I, I just never knew how she could master being so bombastic with her voice and being so extremely intimate with it at the same time. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, her voice just blows me away and, and continues to to this moment. Oh, man. She she was she she is was very complex in her in her approach to music. Yeah. In such a, a really dope, unique way. Like Yeah. It's <laughs> it's so hard to put it in words. Mm-hmm. It it hurt my heart so bad when she passed. Yeah, it, it hurt mine too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I miss her and I, I miss having quality voices like her and quality and a quality presence like her. Yeah, yeah, we, we lost a big, big, big presence with her. Now, as you quite know, maybe the listener might not. <laughs> Voice is truly an instrument all its own. And we can talk about piano and drums and guitars all we want, but voice is an instrument all its own. So in your opinion, what are the most fascinating qualities of voice? Harmonies. I love it when these singers show their processes and they show themselves in the studio and you hear them laying their voices, uh, their voice over itself. I also love octave changes, like surprising octave changes where they just kick it off into a whole nother space. Um, the command of voice. Uh, if you see Rochelle Farrell sing live, like she has uh, plenty of videos on YouTube. Rochelle Farrell. And it looks goofy. It does. But you see how the shape of the mouth, the placement of the tongue, you see how the access to the breath, you see how all of that impacts the sound that comes out and the richness of it 
and the highness and the lowness and the character like she she is a day oh she is a divine example of someone who has explored everything uh lisa fisher is another one oh Ooh, good voice lisa fisher is another one so like these aren't necessarily popular uh vocalists but they are vocalists versus a singer i think um it's like a master of craft it's it's something so deep i think it's what stevie does but stevie was able to be popular with it because he also does that with how many different genres he explored um and the things that he was able to do with his voice and the emotional notes that he also uh, explored in his music. Oh man, Rochelle Farrell. Ugh. I, I still don't get how she can hit whistle notes like Minnie Ripperton and <laughs> Mariah Carey. And at the same time, sing as low, if not lower than Will Downing. I'm like, how is that possible? That voice should not she, be on one person like that. <laughs> man, she she also still performs live. Uh, I got to see Lisa Fisher in Atlanta before I left, which was a blessing. But I still haven't seen Rochelle, and I think it would just be the most magnificent experience ever. It's not someone you can necessarily sing along with. Right. But it's someone that you go really watch, like, do their thing. I love that. Yeah. Now, and as for Lisa Fisher, I am a huge Luther Vandross fan, so that's how I yes. got to know her. Yeah, and I remember. Did you did you see that? Uh, sorry, sorry. No, did no, you no. see that um, documentary, uh, Six Feet from Stardom? No, I haven't. So oh, that's a, that's something I got to listen to. Oh, look, look at. Okay, Six Feet from Stardom. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. So it just talks about the life of a 20. a person <laughs> who's like a background. It's not singer. six. <laughs> it's twenty feet from Stardom. Ah. Yeah. It it explores. Um, these background singers and the lives that they lived, it explores uh, how the ladies in the studio gave all these tracks back in the day, their soul. And when people wanted soul, when they wanted that certain sound, they came to these ladies to do that. Some of these ladies were able to get their flowers. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it gets, it gets in depth. I I love that. That's a really great. So Lisa Fisher's in that as well. Yeah. Um, but also some other amazing mm-hmm. vocalists. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But Lisa in particular. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, w- I remember one, the the uh, Wembley performance that uh, Luther did, and so I'm you know of course I'm listening to him and I'm like okay this is kind of cool and of course midway through, of course he was the type of type of guy who always shone light on background singers because well he was a background singer himself, right, and so. He had uh, Lisa sing um, uh, Dog on it Wildflower I couldn't even think of the song mm-hmm. And When I heard her singing I was like wow what a voice Oh my god so this was like Two years before she released How Can I Re- uh, Ease the Pain So I'm like mm-hmm. oh my god what a voice and then I and of course I had to rush back and get all of Luther's albums and I had to listen to the listen to all the songs again and not just for him, but for the background singers. I was like, oh, that's Lisa there. Oh, that's Lisa there. Oh, that's Lisa there. Yeah, uh, yeah. 
I, I, I am a huge Lisa Fisher fan. And yes, you're right. She does not get the props that she deserves. And of course, also but, singing with Rolling Stones mm-hmm. too. So yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know that she wants them. Like watching the the documentary, like she tried that. And mm-hmm. she just said like it uh, trapped, but uh, by that I mean like to have her own solo career. Yeah. And it just didn't, you know, it's not for everybody for various reasons. It doesn't diminish the talent and the gift that she has. Um, but yeah, having space to be able to do her own thing, I think is more important than fitting into this idea of what it means to be a vocalist of what it means to be a singer and and the career that people believe should go with that. host and the producer of Black Women Trouble Podcast, Wanda Duncan, joining me on Revelations. We had a wonderful conversation about music, and I would love to invite her back to just simply talk nothing but music again. (laughs) (laughs) And she talked about some of her travel exploits earlier in the show, but we're going to segue into now why she is the digital nomad that she is. And behind the purpose. And I get the feeling that you caught some of this bug. And I know that you caught some of it as a child. But I think you caught some of it too. Being an employee of CNN. So what was your experience like in working for the cable news network? I was a hot little thing, you know, (laughs) (laughs) just graduated from college. I'm feeling myself. I'm in my twenties. I'm new to Atlanta. Um, putting miles on my car. I'm seeing, I'm doing, I'm experiencing. And I got my first promotion six months after I got hired. I was looking forward to my next promotion six months after that. And I experienced a tragedy in my life. And capitalism doesn't do tragedies. So I was not on top of my game. Um, Whereas I had earned a reputation before of being beyond top of my game. I just, I'm a quick learner and I don't know. I'm always coming up with ideas. I always have. So being there was really bad after that (laughs) because you have people that have been at CNN since CNN was a thing. Like they knew Ted, like, (laughs) you know, Ted Turner. So it was perfectly horrible (laughs) after that. If I hadn't had those tragedies, it probably would have been just fine. Um, but yeah, so I was around people who, um, it seemed like the idea of HR was created for them because they had no sense. Um, (laughs) they had no humanity. They were just running a business. Um, and they did not see my value. They did not 
take time to nurture or grow me. Everything that I wanted, I went after myself. Um, so yeah, that's how that went. Mm. I started in, when did I start? Um, 2003, 2004, something like that. And I was there for maybe, I don't know almost five years I think before we parted sweet sweet ways and the thing about CNN is, is a lot of people and a lot of a lot of my friends still work there um, for a lot of people CNN is the top because you don't want to go to local news for the business right and local news is going to make you work harder for less money a lot of times CNN was pretty cushy in terms of that they'll pay you and you ain't really got to do a whole lot it's a lot of pressure I was there when Katrina went down. Some of the people I knew were there when 9-11 happened. Um, so there are things that you are exposed to. And I didn't even see the worst of it. Uh, but there are things that you are exposed to as the world is crumbling around you because that is the nature of the business, the world crumbling, right? Oh, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there was no camaraderie. Um, not for a hot new Philly like myself, maybe for the old heads that have been there for years upon years. Um, yeah, that was my experience there, but it didn't have nothing to do with travel. Okay. If anything, like it was a vacation time that the company gave me. I got what, like five weeks of vacation time mm-hmm. and a nice little paycheck to be able to pay for the time I wanted to spend away. Right. So, yeah. That was my experience there. Okay. <laughs> and she wrapped that up in a bow. All right. <laughs> All right. So now the the headquarters of CNN, well, the main headquarters is in Atlanta. So mm-hmm. what did you like about being in the ATL? When I first got there, it just seemed like so much more was popping than what was happening in my little hometown back in Southern Illinois. Um, I was going out to the poetry scene weekly. I had myself a little name. I still use it as my email address. Um, I was going to museums. I got to see a Romare Bearden exhibit at the High Museum in Atlanta, which was like transformative. Um, I got to see Alvin Ailey a couple of times and one time so up close. <laughs> I got to see some really dope black art uh, theater is something I've always been interested in as well. So I got to see some really, really dope black people. Uh, Jelly's Last Jam in the red in the red and brown waters. Those are two different um, plays that were really good. Jelly's Last Jam is a musical. Just fierce. Um, I also got to take dance classes and, and experience that. I had never done that before. Modern jazz, ballet, got to do some yoga stretching. It was a stretch class, but it was yoga, but I didn't know it was yoga at the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, hip-hop, of course, and got to meet some folks who, like, 
like one of the guys worked on tour with genuine genuine sorry genuine <laughs> um or lloyd like seeing lloyd turn up at the at the dance studio purely atl i also got to um meet CeeLo, just like out in the club <laughs> like a rundown little club i think it was a star bar in um little five points um atlanta atlanta was kind of the place where i grew up i think um being in my 20s there and just like running around feeling myself doing a bunch of stuff going to basketball games and you know just hanging out with people Going for uh, $2 tacos, having taco night. I used to do something called six packs in the park. So I would pick a park um, and I called it like my office hours because I always like getting people together. So I'd just be like, hey, I'm going to be at the park from 5 p.m. on. I got a six pack. Y'all bring some. Like, let's just hang out. I always am always looking out for people's pockets because it's expensive (laughs) in the world. So after I stopped working for CNN and I was back in Atlanta, after one of my failed attempts to leave America, um, I was always looking for like low cost ways to like hang out with folks. So I would do six packs in the park, like every Friday or something like that. Mm-hmm. Try it. Cause I, I love for my people to meet each other. So yeah, that's what, that's what Atlanta did. Uh, so you were in Atlanta and you tied your love of music to Atlanta. So what is, or should I say, what was Music Hack ATL? So I had tried and failed at a music startup. And when I failed at that, um, in the midst of failing at that, I had been attending some music events. Um, in different places. I went to DC, I went out to Oakland. Um, and in Oakland, they had something called Hella Hack. At South by Southwest, they have their own music hack as well. And I was like, Atlanta could have this. Atlanta is a music city. It's also like a budding tech hub. So Music Hack ATO was an event where I would get people who had ideas about how to improve the music industry. Then you had the tech folks, so the app or web developers. Um, And then you had designers who made everything look pretty. So you had these three types of people come to the event. They would form teams to develop an idea. And within, I think I, I had one... Were they both 48 hours? I can't remember. But uh, they had 48 hours to get a a mock of their idea to demonstrate. And a panel of judges would decide what the best idea was, the winner. And the winner would get um, legal advice. They'd get co-working space. Um, What were some of the other sponsors? I had Microsoft Connect as the sponsor one year. I had beer and liquor sponsors. So, yeah, um, again, it's like the gathering of people trying to make something happen. It was like the best 
way for me to spend a weekend. I went to my friend's place after it happened. Like, I I want to live inside my event. Like, why is it over? Because <laughs> it was just like so dope having people coming together, like trying to troubleshoot, trying to improve, using technology to empower, specifically for the music industry. Mm. Well, look at that. Here she is, an entrepreneur as well. Let's see. Look at that. (laughs) Yeah. And I I get the feeling that you sort of had that feeling (laughs) outside of Music Hack ATL. Because I get the feeling that when you were talking about your experience at CNN and, well, other experiences, that you wanted to make traveling your full-time job. So when and why did you decide to make traveling? or being a digital nomad, your full-time job? Uh, so the first time was 2009. Um, after I just could not rebound at CNN from the things that had happened there, um, I remember specifically they had a schedule, uh, what's it called, like bid. So I think it was like 24 or maybe more than that, uh, there was a specific number of schedules available for the department. And you numbered what you wanted all the way from one to the last schedule available. And at that point, my boss, although I had like turned things around, people's perceptions of you don't turn as quickly as your, whatever, your behavior. They still think of you in a certain kind of way. And so uh, she had it. And she gave me my very last scheduled choice. I went to HR and I was like, this is clearly like revenge. It was like an overnight schedule. I was like, this is clearly revenge. Like she is trying to punish me. And HR was like, wow, that's crazy. So what can I do for you? And I was like, nothing. And I went on vacation. And while I was on vacation, I put my two weeks in. Um, and yes, I did get paid. <laughs> I took my vacation and I got paid my two weeks Um, because you're going to give me my money. And I was like, I'm done. And that, that was 2010. Um, And that's when I went to El Salvador. I was like, I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not trying to stay here. I'm not trying to make this work. I'm not trying to sit still. I'm, going to go do something where I can put all of myself into it or at least more of myself into it and be fulfilled in what it is that I contribute to. The host and producer of Black Women Travel Podcast, Wanda Duncan, is this week's guest on Revelations. Now, we have touched on many other aspects of this woman. We're about to touch on, well, pretty much the reason as to why, the main reason as to why she's here. So we're going to segue into this segment I call Bring to Light.
simple question. What inspired you to create Black Women Travel Podcast? So I left America like December 31st, 2015. Um, And I've been traveling. I was in Europe for a bit, came to Asia, going here and there. And it was isolating. So I started a Facebook group. First of all, I hit up a couple ladies because that's what they teach you, right? When When you're starting something new, you check out the scene, see if anybody's actually interested in what you're creating. So I hit up some ladies and I was like, hey, y'all, like, I want to create this Facebook group for us where we can share ideas, be a support for one another, you know, the whole community thing I'm into. So it was called the Black Women Digital Nomads at the time. And then later I changed it to Black Women Digital Nomad Entrepreneurs. Um, The group did not pop, (laughs) despite me doing my research. It was like, that's what people do. They'd be like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. But then, like, these are, these are ladies who are fighting for their lives, essentially. And a lot of times they don't have space because they are trying to make their lifestyle work for them. Or the group was also full of lurkers. So it's people who are in the States who don't even see that this kind of lifestyle is really possible for them. Um, and so they're looking for tips, maybe for community. But it just, like, it wasn't active for the first maybe two years. So like I tried a few things, you know, I would create the group posts and I would, what did I do? Create like a, a challenge, like a weekly challenge kind of thing to help keep us motivated. Um, so like none of that stuff was working, but I had like my own stuff I was trying to do. So I couldn't really pour a lot of time into it. So then Earlier this year, 2019, uh, just as the group was about to turn to, I think it, I think it just turned to earlier this year. So before the group was about to turn to, I was like, I want to do a podcast. I want to interview these women. I want them to share their stories. I want people to be able to piece together how they started their travel journeys how they've been able to make it work for them how they even travel because a lot of times people think it's supposed to work one way you see a lot of these white folks that are out here on the beach actually nobody really works on the beach because it's just not practical or whatever um and so the stories that they tell are all like kind of the same hey we just got um, a van and like fixed it up and like drove around Australia living out of our van. <laughs> like, it was like, yeah, some black people would do that, but like, that's not, where are the black people? Where are they? And then because my group was for black women, I wanted to focus on black women. Um, y'all are amazing. <laughs> y'all are fantastic. Y'all got issues. I just find (laughs) y'all got issues. So I just find that black women are more proactive when it comes to awareness, to their mental health, um, to their ambition, to moving past their insecurity, to rising. Not that black men don't black men do. Um, I have not experienced 
black men being able to do that without harming others. If I may say that, Cole. <laughs> if we're going to be real, real, my brother. Um, I think black men as a whole just have some growing to do. They need more care and black women are not the ones to do it. They have to take charge and responsibility of their own lives and stop being so harmful in many ways. Um, towards black women, towards black trans women, stop killing them, please. Um, gay black men, stop, stop hating. Stop doing all the, all the foolishness that, that they do. I won't say that you do, because I don't know you like that, Cole, but I hope you don't do that because it's not cool. So black women have been my focus because I just find I just, they are so, they are everything. They are so everything. And I started doing my interviews in June and I started releasing my episodes one by one starting in July. And everything has kind of unfolded from there. Um, I don't think the listenership is huge, but I've been able to make connections with so many, like, I just don't see how the show could end, knock on wood. Not that I believe that I need to knock on wood. I don't know why I just said that. <laughs> Must be habit, but <laughs> there's so many. There are so many, and they are everywhere. The first woman that I, I interviewed is from South Africa. I have some ladies from London. I have some folks from America, and they are not um, Onika the Traveler. They are not uh, Glow, um, Gloria who's also uh, famous and both of them have been doing it for a while. They're not them. These are for lack of a better expression, like regular black women, not that there's anything by any means regular about them, but I want to show that attainability. I want to show the accessibility of this kind of lifestyle. And so these are women that are making it work for them and they are taking up space in their own way but they may be more of a Solange than a Beyonce, if that makes sense. Oh, no, it makes perfect sense. And well, before I continue, yes, uh, this show revelations and my own personal self, uh, we believe every human being deserves to live a free life. Doesn't matter who you are or what you claim to be, live a free life. So no, no, no hate, no issue there. And yes, I do have a personal, <laughs> do have a personal gripe with black men in terms of, in terms of growth or lack thereof and using that as, and using black women as, as, uh, um, stepping stools to get there. Yeah. I, I, I have personal issues with that too. Thank uh, but you. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I fully got, I fully got where you're coming from with that. As a representative of all black women. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I find it really enthralling and interesting that you are not only doing the nomadic traveling life, but you're finding like-minded and, well, like-acting people like you doing it. And I think that's what drew me to wanting to interview you, because I, I noticed this 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 thing that I was not aware of, like you said. It, it you know it wasn't the person who was the celebrity black woman traveling around the world. It was 
a woman that you don't know. And then it's a black woman that you really don't know, but they are living a life to where they have the freedom to go anywhere in the world. So <laughs> you're going to get a laugh out of this. So in the questions that I asked that I, that I formed to prepare for this interview, one of them was quote, when I listen to your show, I get an NPR feel <laughs> to it. <laughs> Close quote. Thank you. <laughs> because when I listened to it, I was like, man, this feels so NPR-ish. I like it. And and, and not only that, it has a little Erica Badu vibe too. Uh, and <laughs> I, I was remiss in having um, incense burning. <laughs> and a head wrapped to place on my head. Cole, don't play <laughs> before every single interview. Cole, don't play now before every single interview. I like incense real life. See, look at that. Look at you that. can look, but <laughs> that's real. I absolutely set the mood. You know, as a podcast host, you make space for people. So it's like, yeah. When I'm doing my research, I'm checking these ladies out. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing what they choose to put out, what they don't put out. Um, how they how they present themselves in the world. Yeah. Or don't. Some mm -hmm. are very private. Some are very open. Yeah. But yeah. So when I sit down to record, <laughs> I'm in Malaysia, so mm -hmm. uh, I don't know what you know about Malaysia. Uh, here's what you need to know. It's on the sun. Literally on the sun. So it's hot as all get out, generally speaking. So um, I'm in a place with no air con, so I have fans. So I turn my fans off. I light my incense. And it becomes a sweat lodge. Like, <laughs> it becomes wow. a purification process <laughs> as I'm, like, uh, making the space as I'm holding this space for my ladies. And I told you about my NPR experience. So mm -hmm. I'm, I, I was hoping that would come through. Yes. Oh my. Okay. So it's a sauna. That's interesting. Okay. Now let, let me, that's not a question I wanted to ask. But <laughs> so about this sauna situation. Yes. But the sauna like situation that you put yourself in, in asking these questions <laughs> when you host your show. No, that's not what I wanted to ask. Uh, what lessons have you learned from your guests, which shapes how you travel? It fuels me, man. It like, it just lets me know that girl, me too. <laughs> like, we are figuring it out. We are finding what works for us. The thing about Black folks, I think, is that White people a lot of times have more leeway and more runway to be able to try and fail and try and fail. And I do not know that black people have that grace a lot of times. Mm. Um, homelessness is a real thing. And a, a few of the ladies that I've spoken to have been in that situation, not necessarily trying to travel, but like as a part of their life story, life experience. And so it takes a, I like to, I don't like to think, but I, there's some part of me that believes that it does, it's a bigger risk 
for us to be able to pursue the thing that we want to pursue. There's a huge mindset that has to change in order even to believe it's possible for us to do so. Because, girl, that's not for you. How are you going to pay for all of that? Um, what happens if you break your leg? It is lack of community. It is who gonna come look for my body if I go missing? <laughs> it is if I do come back, how am I going to get a job? Because a lot of times it's just difficult for us to even get hired. So that's one of the fears that it plays into. What if it doesn't work out? What if I have to go back and start all over again? You know, having to pay a month and last month deposit and the first month's rent. And child, it is, it's a gamble. It's a huge gamble because things are not easy for us. But I mean, things weren't going to be easy for us anyway. So many of the ladies I, I talked to, if they were in a career, they are stuck. They have folks managing them that are younger than them with less experience. So they got the right skin tone. It's stuff like that. You know, it just, it really breaks your heart to know that you can't thrive in a system that was never built for you. And as we, in this day and age, you know, it's 2019, so many things are surfacing about, like we knew we built America, specifically, uh, speaking about the American experience, we knew we built America, but it's like we really, really built America. We, yes, we have, in a, yes, we have innovated. We have created, we have contributed to technologies, to systems. Even Jim Crow was contributing to the uh, economic situation in America, let alone slavery itself. So it's like, America, oh, that's everything. And then some. Um, yeah. That's what it does. It, it fortifies me. It lets me know that I'm in excellent company. I am not fighting alone. I am thriving with other women who are making it work day after day through all the fears that can come up, addressing those fears, moving forward. So many of these women are on a healing journey, healing our minds, healing our bodies, putting all that other down, healing from our generation's past, mothers who weren't communicative, parents who didn't have things to give us because they were so up to their eyeballs and their own trauma and then their parents' trauma and then their ancestors' trauma. They couldn't see clearly. Um, and we can't even blame them for that, but we can. And so we are trying to turn this thing all the way around. We are really trying to, like you, like you were saying about your segment earlier, open the way and showing others that way through example. does it for this episode of revelations i hope you enjoyed it because i know i did however before we go the last segment is called plug tuning and yes uh, for those who are in the know it is influenced by de la soul so 
for those who want to reach you or even for those who you would want to reach you, how can the people find you? The good people can find me probably on Twitter mostly. Um, I have a personal account, but I'm a little bit more active on the podcast account. It's B is in Bob, W, T is in Tom, pod. So it's at Black Women Travel Pod, BWT Pod. Um, I'm not really on Facebook like that, and I'm not really on Instagram like that. But that Twitter account, um, I'm really active on. So, yes, you can reach me there. Or if you want to email me, you can also email me at Wanda at Asha, A-S-H-A-L-B-H.com. All right. Well, there you have it. Blogger, life coach, vocal coach, world traveler, and the host and producer of Black Women Travel Podcast, Wanda Duncan. It is a pleasure to have had this time with you, Wanda. Thank you so much. Thank you for the gift. Yes, I appreciate your time and your energy. Traveling brings out the, I guess you could say, explorer. One of the things that we need to do more often in life is explore who we are in the expanse world in which we live. We learn more about ourselves and being in different areas. And one of the things that handicaps all of us at times is the fact that we remain in one spot for far too long. And the lesson I learned from dealing with one uh, and the lesson I learned in talking with Wanda is that it it's okay to travel. It's okay that you can go somewhere and be someplace and learn something else that is not about your culture because you get to learn how small the world really is. The word says, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And so I think of Wanda when she's Stepping her way from Malaysia to the Philippines, Vietnam, to Japan and all other points of the world. And it makes me feel good that there is someone who says, you know what, I'm a fly in the face of of the status quo and I'm going to live life on my term. And isn't that what we all should do? And it's a wonderful example of having someone who is living life on her own terms. Many thanks to Wanda for joining us and you can catch her on black women travels podcast and if you need her life coaching service you can go to asha lbh.com for changing the world one conversation at a time i'm cole johnson and this has been revelations For more on Revelations, go to Pippa, spelled P-I-P-P-A, dot I-O, and all podcast directories. Music by Lakey Inspire.